people. Welcome back to our podcast and our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I am Bella Rudy, your host, and today we are joined by Cody Whitaker, co-founder and vertical farmer himself at Primitive Greens. Welcome. Thank you, Bella, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys today about vertical farming. I'm so excited to learn and hear what you have to say about vertical farming. I mean, I feel as though we're entering a topic that I actually don't know too much about, and I'm super excited to learn. Uh, but today and get the 101 on what and why you're doing this. So you co-founded Primitive Greens with Carrie Lawrence, right? Yeah. Okay. And launched your first freight farm in 2020? Yeah. Correct. Okay. And I feel like there's so many things we could chat about, but let's just start by getting to know you. What was your journey up until that point? And has this always been passion of yours? Uh, primarily, no. So uh, up until that point, I was still in university. I graduated in December of 2019. So it was coming back, deciding, you know, what I wanted to do. So I studied computer science and computer science here compared to the States is very different. So most of your computer science here, you're doing more IT work. Yeah. So what I did in school was like software engineering, programming, different things like that. So it was around July 2019 when I was here for summer, we were just brainstorming a couple ideas and I did come across um, farming as one of the ideas. And then basically you just kept thinking about it while doing my schoolwork. So when I graduated in 2019, came back diary 2020, we were just on the idea of this is something that we wanted to do. Then the pandemic happened, and then it was just even more prevalent to bring this into, you know, fruition. And during the pandemic, it was locked down. I wasn't working, so I had nothing else to do. So all I was doing was freight farms. So it was a COVID brain baby. Yeah, COVID brain baby, basically. So through COVID, we basically got our full plan down. Um, we ordered, got our first farm, I believe, in August of 2020. And we've been going ever since. That's super cool. That's super cool. Kind of never know when things like this will just pop up into your life and suddenly change your whole life, right? Interesting. So you guys are the first um, vertical or hydroponic farmers on island. So could you tell us exactly what does vertical and hydroponic farming mean? Because those are kind of, it's not what you usually associate with the word agriculture and farming. Yeah. So I would say we're one of the first. I know there's a few okay. farmers who are growing outside that are also growing vertically. Okay. There's just outside. So they're using towers. Um, okay. I know there's a few people, I think, who've bought used containers mm-hmm. and just retrofitted them themselves and gave it a go. So basically, vertical farming is traditionally farming is in a 2D space like they're with. But vertical farming, you're incorporating height. So you have more depth to grow a variety of things. Mm. So there's where you get your layers. So instead of just having an acre, mm-hmm. you can multiply that acre by two if you just go up wow. using, you know, just going up vertically. You can do it by three if you go up again, four, and you just keep going up. So with that, you save a lot of space. So in one of our farms, we're basically growing in 40-foot shipping containers. We grow around two to three acres worth of food in 320 square feet. So the equivalent to that in Cayman is quite drastic. So mm-hmm. land is very expensive. Arable land is at a premium and very hard to find. Mm-hmm. And most of the stuff we focus on is cold weather crops. So growing indoors and vertically helps us save on space and it helps us up the production basically. Okay, what does what does the hydroponic aspect? So the hydroponic hydroponics have been around for a while. So it's basically replacing soil um, with just water. So all the nutrients are placed in the water instead of having soil. So when you're growing in the ground, once you water it, you fertilize it, all the water and the soil, basically just, it starts going down the basically shell. So with water, the water's recycled, you save about 98 to 99% compared to traditional farming because all the water is recycled. So in our farms, we basically make our own water. 
So in the daytime, when the lights are on, the plants release moisture. We have a dehumidifier in the back, which takes in the moisture and just puts it back in the tank. So we only use maybe about five to seven gallons of water a day. That's super cool. Yeah. So water is no issue for us. And that's the benefit of using hydroponics because you're just recycling the water. You'll do a water turnover every once in a while. But that's our culture, I believe, is the biggest user of water in, in the world. So yeah. if you're thinking about cows or just traditional growing medicine in the ground, it uses a ton of water. And you can't get that water back. It just goes back down the water lens and have the weight. Right. That's super interesting. What it, so that's super sustainable then. Really. Yeah. So in places uh, where you have droughts, so California, Arizona, and those places, in hydroponic system, you don't have to worry about water too much mm-hmm. because it's recycled. So that's where that comes into play. Cool. So you mentioned that you mainly focus on cold weather pr- uh, pr- products, I guess. Yeah. Why have you chosen greens, I guess? So greens, right now where the technology is, greens is the most efficient. So you can also grow berries indoors, okay. uh, mushrooms, uh, different types of herbs. Uh, we could do kale, kills as well. But we primarily focus on the leafy greens because most of that stuff here is imported. So because we are in Canada, we import most of our food. And things like romaine, you can't grow that year-round in Cayman, and that's where the demand is really. So mm-hmm. you'll always have a, once you go to any restaurant, you'll always have a romaine salad or some type of salad. Everywhere. Yeah, so that's what we're primarily focused on. And it's also a way that we don't step on the local farmers here who are growing other crops, such as tomatoes, cucumbers, and things like that. So we primarily focus on the cool weather. Filling the gap, yeah. really. Because I guess romaine here is like something like six bucks. Yeah. I had it goes up and down it. Another thing as well. So because we are growing it here, we're able to control the price. So you don't have to worry about food importation costs. Usually anything I um, get an order, I usually pick it the same day. So, oh yeah. So my stuff goes from maybe the latest will be maybe two, three hours before it's actually on your plate or in the store. Wow. And how do you actually, speaking of getting it into the store, how, how do you distribute these products? So we basically primarily do it ourselves. We package, harvest and do everything ourselves. And then once we do that, we just drive it out to the Fosters or different supermarkets, restaurants, et cetera, and just give it to them. So it's kind of like a distributor <laughs> um, type arrangement that we have. But once we scale, we hope to you know get it better where we have packing machines, uh, find more efficient packaging, eco-friendly packaging and things like that to make the process quicker. Okay, which, which, where are you distributing right now? Is it mentioned Fosters? Yeah, so you can get us in all the Fosters locations, uh, there's a few restaurants that have our stuff. Forgot, forgot. Seeing primarily have their stuff. Aussie's oh, just so good. Yes, <laughs> Vaccaro, um, been in Union, uh, Agua. A few new restaurants coming up. We'll also have a few things in there. So we're just growing into into where we want to be. Mm-hmm. But primarily our focus was the the supermarket, so everybody could have access to what we were growing. That's the thing. While well, we're not charging anything different. So anything I would sell the high-end restaurants and you can buy in the stores the same product. That's super cool. That's super, it is expensive these days to eat healthy, yeah. right? And to, to look after yourself. Yeah, so our, basically our mission was making, you know, clean, healthy produce affordable for everyone. We don't believe anybody should have, not have access to that. You know, it's a basic human right food. Right. So that's one of our main missions with what we're doing here. Right, and that kind of leads us into the the next thing, the big question, which is food security in Cayman. Because currently, apart from you guys and our other local agricultural farmers and stuff like that, we 
we kind of don't really have security. Yeah. You know, we have produce 1% of our own food, something like that, and the other 99% come from the U.S. Yeah, so U.S. is probably like 85%. We do get other food from um, Honduras and Jamaica. Okay. But primarily, we don't grow enough food to sustain ourselves. So that, But that's a trend throughout the Caribbean. I believe there's only two or three Caribbean countries, um, like Guyana and Belize, that produce over 50% of the food that they have. So we're primarily dependent on imports. And that becomes a problem when you do get a pandemic or a hurricane or a drought or something like that, where you're dependent on somebody else to send you food and whether or not you get it is strictly dependent on what's what's going on. And, and the price of that as well fluctuates. And this is so important for us here as climate change continues to change yes. <laughs> and climatize because we're going to have more hurricanes, more situations where you might be isolated from the outside world, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, all of our food usually comes in primarily by ship. You do get the UK stuff is coming on plane, but if you think a bad hurricane comes through here, say the port gets um, destroyed, we're waiting on, on food to come in. Just because we don't grow enough hair, especially the leafy greens and other staple stuff. Mm -hmm. So we do have to wait, but you know, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, the average age of the Cayman farmer is about 66. So we're hoping more young mm -hmm. people get involved because of the technology side of it. Mm -hmm. So this could become bigger so that Cayman could actually produce not all of its food, but mm -hmm. most food. So for example, leafy greens, we should be able to produce all the leafy greens we need here on island with this type of technology. And then that once the technology gets better, we can go into berries as well. So strawberries, blueberries. So if you can imagine local strawberries grown here, you know where the farm is, what what is it being utilized? That, that would be a game changer for us. It's just so much more sustainable for our island and, and the way we bring it in, you know, because when we bring all these produces, pro, sorry, all these importations, it's all CO2 and it's noise pollution in the ocean and it's so many yeah. other aspects. Yeah, so even our shipping transit, so even if we are getting, say, say your bananas are coming from Colombia, they don't come directly from Colombia to Cayman. They might go Colombia, move up to a different island, move up again, move up, and then enter Miami. And then from Miami, then it comes to Cayman. So in that long journey, you're losing a lot of nutritional value. Um, pesticide disease might get picked up along the way and different things like that. So once we shorten the gap, uh, basically, farm to plate, you'll, you'll see a, a tremendous benefit. So a lot of people commend the taste of our product. Mm. So all of our lettuces, once they try the different lettuces, all of them taste different, Wow. which they really enjoy. Because usually when you go to a, a supermarket mm -hmm. and either if you get old lettuce or something that's been imported, it's probably two or three weeks old already just because of the travel time it takes to get to Cayman. And they can actually taste the difference. Uh, you can see the difference as well. Wow. But our stuff usually lasts two to three weeks in the fridge. That's wonderful. So we've had people who bought stuff and put it in the back of the fridge and completely forgot about it, but haven't opened it. And they come back and it looks like they just bought it for the, the supermarket. And I mean, that's less packaging yeah. you have to buy. That's less money that can now go to more maybe sustainable products that you want to invest in. That's 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 the future, my friend. Yeah, that's our slogan. Primitive green is the future of farming. That is the future. Okay. So you guys did a talk with Freight Farms, yeah. um, and I'm by right thinking you, you, you bought one of their. Yeah, so all, all of our units right now are Freight Farm units. Freight Farm units, okay. And I will link that below so other people can check out that talk because it was super interesting. So you started with one, now you have three? Yes, we have three. Okay, so why did you choose these Freight Farms over Warehouse? 
So Freight Farms, we basically chose the container unit because it was pandemic. So with the container unit, it's more viable for us in terms of mobility. So mm. actually two of the farms that we have, we do plan to send to Cayman Rapids that came out. Oh, that's and that's something we can do literally right away. Just get a crane and a truck, put it on the ship, yes. go there, connect it. So with the warehouse, it's more of a something stagnant that once it's built, is there. Stuck. And with the container, we can actually grow a variety of different things. So I can have, say, a hot weather crop in one container, a colder weather crop in another container. But when you're growing in a warehouse, you have to grow things that are roughly, um, that do well in roughly the same temperature. So, for example, if I'm growing something like basil, basil prefers a higher temperature. Mm -hmm. So if I grow it colder, it'll take a lot longer to grow than if it was in its ideal environment. And that's another thing with the container. So just the mobility and the the range of things that we can do with one container Mm -hmm. compared to a big warehouse. And then the cost as well is a little bit cheaper. And in terms of something not being, I guess, produced in a warehouse or even just simply outside, pesticides and yeah so once you're indoors you can control the environment herbicide and pesticide free so we just make sure you know clean your shoes make sure we don't go anywhere uh to to draft it where we can bring something in the container that would uh, make us need to use herbicides or pesticides right and you know that's not even just so vital for human health that's vital for environmental health right because so many of these things like herbicides pesticides they leak yeah. bugs and then those bugs with that in their body get eaten by the birds and those birds then get eaten by maybe you know yeah so it's, it's just a whole chain so yeah. it's uh, another thing that we are proud of that we don't have to do just because of the technology so anything that you buy from us is herbicide and pesticide free so cool so cool oh my gosh you're checking all the boxes right now you really are so i can imagine that it takes quite a bit of energy to run an operation like this um what are your plans to make this uh, like a sustainable process in terms of your energy consumption yeah, so in terms of energy, it does use quite a bit of energy just because we're controlling the environment. Um, we do live in a hot climate, so we're fighting the outside element. So right. in our containers, it's roughly 63 degrees huh? to 78 degrees. So oh, nice. if, it's, yeah, if, it's, <laughs> if, it's, if it's 86 outside, you know, the AC is working a little bit harder. And then you do have to supplement the plants with LED lights. Okay. So with, For sunlight. Right? Yeah. So people get it confused that plants actually need sunlight when they're actually okay. using spectrum. So it's kind of like when you spray up bows, you can see the spectrum of light. So you can get your reds to blues, your greens. Plants only usually absorb red and the blue, but that's primarily just what they need. So even they can't absorb the green light because of the chlorophyll that they produce. Yeah, (laughs) it just, you know, bounces back. So using the lights is uh, one of the most energy intensive factors. So what we did or what we have planned, we've submitted a proposal to Offrig in order to scale our operation and make it more feasible so we can grow other things. And it's just a three megawatt floating solar facility. Floating? Yes. So we are saving, you know, two to three acres worth of land per container. We didn't want to, you know, um, take up that land using two to three acres worth of solar. So floating solar is an option that we looked at. So it's primarily being used in Asia where they get a lot of typhoons and it's tested out there. So we would just use, uh, use Quarry Lake which is already dug out. So it's just repurposing the space and we'd float the floating solar in the in the lake. And then all the power that we use would go back into the farm. And that'll be enough to run? Yeah, so we plan to scale up to about 50 containers. And with that, you'll, you'll get a variety of things, including kale, ear berries, uh, mushrooms and things like that. Mm-hmm. And once you have that energy system in place, we're able to fix the price of our mm-hmm. produce. Mm-hmm. So right now, because we are dependent on 
on the fuel. If fuel goes up, we have to raise the price of our lettuce just because of what we're doing. I have to live. Yeah. yeah. Just because of what we're doing. So once we have that solar in place, we're able to just fix the price and we'll know what it is today and we'll know what it will be in 20 years. So that's that's what we're working on. And then it also brings the cost of our food tremendously down because we don't have to worry about fuel. It's just the, the energy. So all of that's in place and we're just waiting to hear about now from Offreak to see their, their stats on the project. I mean, I mean, how could they say no? I mean, how could they say no? But I have a question that you don't have to answer, but I wonder how, how do you receive this a massive project? How do you receive funding for something like this? Is the government helping you, like the Department of Agriculture? Are they involved or is this, are you just totally going for it? Yeah, so the government entity, agriculture has been helping us with the agricultural side of it. Okay. So they'll help us um, get the things in. So our first container, I believe it was maybe held up in the port for like two or three days. Okay. Because People didn't understand what it was. Of course. So they thought it was just a container that had farm stuff in the container. Right. No, the container is the farm. And, you know, it wasn't clicking. So through the whole three years that we've been up and going, they've they've helped us with seeds, um, different permits, because you do need permits to bring in seeds and okay. different things for our culture. And then our culture does offer a lot of um, subsidies for farmers. So like our nutrients are duty-free. Oh, okay. Our seeds are duty-free as well. So... It goes along that list. So we've talked to everybody in government about what we propose to do and what what we see came out in the future, like in terms of food security. Yeah. So we're just waiting for, we just have this final piece of yeah. the, the project that needs an approval. And then once that gets approved, we'll be fine. And then in terms of funding, a lot of companies around the world are looking at this in terms of future, future growing. They see it as it being something very sustainable for them. So... To, to date, we're currently self-funded. Awesome. Yeah. So we don't really have to worry. That's mm-hmm. luckily for us, we don't have to worry about paying back uh, a loan on any of these containers or anything that we have. So we're able to offer the produce at a cheaper rate. So we knew once we started out that it would be a battle to get to where we needed to be. But because of the scale, we knew that we needed solar. And once the solar comes into play, we'll be able to expand into into different things. So right now we're, we're going to start hitting our peak with lettuce. <laughs> you could only you know, the island and the restaurants could only sustain a certain amount of lettuce until you need to go into states things like arugula and kale yeah of course and different things like that oh i see okay how interesting good it's nice to hear that you're having support yeah so there's support there we're just waiting for the basically the final we're at the tip of the hill and this is once we get an approval the ball would be fully This is so optimistic. Like, yeah, honestly, so. sometimes we have interviews and it's a bit of a, oh, situation, you know? Yeah, so, so once we get approval, it'll be about about 14 months before we, we can have the full thing up and running. So that would be all the farms and the, the full solar, and then we could expand it to other things. So it's a quick process. We just need an uh, approval from Offreg. That's super Super cool. Okay, Offreg, if you're listening, get this <laughs> done. Get this done. Get this in. So would you encourage other people to start doing this? So I know you're going to have 50 billion containers. You could probably offer us all, you know, lettuce till our eyes pop. But would you recommend people doing their own farming? And, and what can we as people start doing to secure our own food? Yeah, so right now the technology is getting to a point where they do sell kits. I believe you can buy a, a little small hydroponic kit in Ale Thompson. Really? Yeah, and it'll give you the seeds and it'll have like a little lamp with light. You can grow like basil, mint. And it's just practicing, you know, your green thumb with this technology. 
So you might not need to go to the store for basil or mint, but it's something good to have because it's good to know how to sustain yourself. And then if, say, for example, you've been working in something like accounting for X amount of years and you're looking to retire, this could be something that, you know, you might want to go into because I'm basically in 63 degree weather. I'm listening to music. There's no hot sun. Living your best life. Yeah. So all of that you can basically look at. And then it's also a benefit for education because we hope to get into the schools, UCCI, ICCI, teaching the younger kids so that it, yeah. So if there is a student who is interested in our culture, but is afraid to do it because they don't want to go away to university to learn about our culture and come back to Cayman and have nowhere to use it, basically. Yeah. This would be uh, an avenue for them so they can go away and come back and say, okay, I can work at Primitive Greens or XYZ company and implement what I've learned to my degree, basically. So that's that's another thing as well. So a lot of universities have started offering up food security degrees. Mm-hmm. They can learn about different renewable aspects. So this ties directly into that. What would you say are, are there any drawbacks of this? Basically, right now, the biggest drawback is very capital intensive. Okay. Just the technology. So you're, we're right now, we're looking at seeing a little bit of reduction so i don't know a while ago maybe 20 years ago you can imagine buying a plasma screen tv yeah it was two three four thousand dollars now you can buy one 65 inch for like 400 bucks right so that's the type of decline that you're going to see once the technology starts to get more efficient and more people start using it so you'll see that with the leds the um hvac system which is basically the ac and the heating Mm -hmm. now once you start to see that decline then uh, different things will work around. So the biggest thing is the capital expense. And what's super cool, I think, is that once you've created your, you know, I guess, what am I trying to say? Your massive, I guess you could put container on container on container. You could cover that all with green and make it completely like, because you know what I'm thinking of, I'm picturing containers in my mind in a, in a lot. There's a way of making that also a part of the environment, right? Yeah. So with a container, you can basically put up um, your wood fencing and then vines can grow on it um different things you can probably grow tomatoes on the side of it oh my gosh so different things you can use to outfit it and then you can stock containers i think you can do max maybe like three on top so that also saves space as well so you don't have to go vertically but i think in our facility we'd just be doing two so what we plan to do is buy the floating solar we want to have a cat five rated warehouse and then the containers would just be inside the warehouse. So that's just an extra step in terms of safety and food security and food sustainability. Why do you think it's so vital that Cayman starts to be, uh, that Cayman, you know, begins its journey into being more sustainable and independent in our food production? Why do you think it's so important to the future of Cayman? We all need food. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed in the pandemic or any little, because of where we are, we're so vulnerable and we depend on a lot of other countries for what we're doing the slightest change in policy, energy bill, a war breaks out that nobody had, you know, accounted for, mm-hmm. we all get affected by that immediately. So things like that is something we can't play with. Mm-hmm. And because we are so reliant on food and we all eat food to eat, it's mm-hmm. better that we try to turn in a way not fully food mm-hmm. um, dependent or fully food producing everything that we do, but at least majority of the things that we can do. So if we know we can produce all of this here, why not just do it instead of bring it in, bring it in. And then it stimulates jobs, the economy, and that's just money that's staying in Cayman instead of going out to other places. 
then it helps with the cost of everything. So traditionally in farming, you have uh, like a four or five step process. It goes from the farmer, the processor, distributor, then from the distributor, it'll go to either directly to restaurants or retail, which is mm-hmm. the supermarket. In terms of Cayman and scale, we don't do much of the farming. We don't do much of the processing. So that's all That's all the added cost that's in the States and then shipping the things here. So we start basically at the distributor and game out for majority of our things. So if you're able to eliminate that cost and actually do that things here, you're able to control from the start what things are going to cost and you're able to work it out for, for what you need to. You must eat a lot of lettuce. I do. I <laughs> probably eat a salad every day. I bet you do. <laughs> okay. What do you think we as a country should be doing more of in terms of food security? It'd be more of educating the public yeah. on what KMAC can be and what other countries are doing. So we aren't the first in the world to do this. There's big mega farms in food deserts in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, and places like this. Japan has had one in their airport, I believe, for like 10 years where they're growing food in their airport. And it's just the show of the technology. So, yeah. yeah, so we can utilize different spaces. So even abandoned warehouses you can utilize to do different things and then it's just to educate once you educate the students and they get an interest in it then you know that will lead into the future and where do you think this fits in terms of and we've mentioned all the ways that it's environmentally friendly really it is but this is i think a massive step forward in Cayman in terms of sustainability, in terms of environmental sustainability, right? Yeah. Was that a big driver when you guys started it or was it more just the food security and securing it that way? Primarily it was the food security, but another thing in Cayman is we have, uh, for such a small region, we have a lot of um, health issues. So you have a lot of cancer and you don't know really know where that, the cancer is coming from. Yeah. So in terms of food laws, we're behind on many things. Yeah. So like different pesticides and herbicides that may, might be banned in the U.S. or Europe, you're able to get them here and use them. Mm-hmm. So it's just educating the public on, you know, what they're putting into their body and to actually look more in depth of, of what we as an island are doing to, to feed our people and our, basically our future and how we're going to sustain that. Right, exactly. So the packaging, you did mention the packaging and that you want to bring in um, Bigger machines to make the distribution of the packaging more easy so and more eco-friendly, right? So right now, how are you currently doing that? So right now, our packaging is basically, it's a 64-ounce container that holds about five ounces of lettuce. Mm-hmm. So that will last in the supermarket two or three weeks, mm-hmm. and then it'll last in your fridge about the same amount of time. So that's primarily what we're using now. People just go in, pick it up, and use it. But what we do intend to do in the future is to get more eco-friendly packaging, more easily biodegradable packaging Mm -hmm. to say the most and then also offer full heads so no packaging at all so it's just you pick up the full living head take it home either you um, prepare it there and put it in some tupperware and put it in your fridge or you just leave it in a cup of water so that's where we're going but right now because of how small we are as a company we haven't gotten that solar approval yet we can't grow to that scale where we can implement that we're just using the plastic packaging for now so that's a big future goal. So what are some of your yeah. future goals? It seems like you have a billion. Yeah, so our, our future goals are to get into different produce. So we will be growing uh, gourmet mushrooms in the near future. Oh my goodness. And then we also want to get into to berries as well. So once we start doing different things, then we can you know sit back and say, okay, we're growing this and this and this. As the technology improves, we'll be able to implement a variety of different things. So where the technology is right now, it's basically sweet spot right now for leafy greens and herbs. 
the next step would be sweet spot for berries. And then after that, they're hoping that they can get into your more off-staple crops, such as corn, barley, wheat. So if you can imagine that, because that grows outside and because it grows so high up, mm -hmm. it's, it's just they're doing a lot of R&D to see how they make that feasible. A bit tricky. Yeah. Well, where can people go to learn more about this? I mean, it's a vast topic with so many different angles. Yeah, so you can go to our website at primitivegreens.ky, our Instagram page, Facebook page, but you can also do your own research on the internet, um, controlled environmental agriculture, um, freight farming, indoor agriculture, and there's tons of videos basically on the web that you can learn different aspects, you know, the benefits, the cons, and different things like that. So all of the information is readily available. It's just now it's our basically our goal to get this into the school so people actually know about this. But a lot of people who do are able to take a tour where we do have the time. Mm -hmm. They say they they never thought they would see something like this in their in their entire life. So when you go into the farm it basically looks like a spaceship and very yeah. sci fi -y, you know, very very different. So that's just the educational part of it. It needs to be yeah. Yeah. And the reasons for needing it for health-wise and environmental-wise, really. Yeah, so all, all the benefits, healthier product, fresher product, so you don't lose as much nutritional value because it's a very short, short journey. Very cool. Well, that's all my questions. I mean, I think I could come and put 10 more if we sat here for a little while longer, but thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, this has been amazing and it's an amazing initiative and I it's a massive step forward for Cayman and I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. I do. And I mean, now I want a little hydroponic. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I'd love to grow my own lettuce. Um, and so, yeah. So, guys, check them out. Check out their website, which is primitivegreens.ky. And on Instagram at primitivegreens. At just primitivegreens. And hopefully, we can come into a little tour and check it out ourselves. Definitely. That would be awesome. Thanks, Cody. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. And thanks again to DMS Broadcasting and Bubble 89.1 and my pal Rai Kakaldi from Retrospect Media for capturing all of this. Check out our filmed episodes over on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Protecting Paradise KY. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, then check out our fundraiser on Go Get Funding and just type in Protecting Paradise Podcast and we will pop right up. Any support you give us will mean the world and allow us to keep doing what we're doing. And finally, you cannot care unless you know, and in this case, there's a lot to know and a lot to learn about our food security and our options that we actually have here. And we're always open to hear your opinion and your topic suggestions, so do not be shy. And we'll see you next week. Toodles! <laughs>